This is John Andercheck with Labor Lines. Labor Lines, the podcast that can be found on Anchor FM and other platforms. And Labor Lines, the weekly radio show on the great KRFP, Moscow, Idaho. Today is June 25th, and I'm at my home, my new home in uh, Longview, Washington. And joining me from Los Angeles via cell phone is Crystal Herrera. She is a journey-level electrician with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW, Local 11 of Los Angeles, and has been recently elected to the executive board of that local. Full disclaimer, uh, I put 10 years in with the IBEW uh, on what we call the outside. I was a groundman. Uh, we Maybe we could just kind of throw that out, Crystal, as we're talking. But Crystal, thanks so much for joining me uh, on this Friday afternoon. And I'm just going to turn the show over to you to get started. Thank you for having me. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, so like you said, um, you know, journey level electrician out of Los Angeles, California. Um, I came in in 2014. Um, and, you know, back then when you applied for the apprenticeship, you had to stand in this ridiculously long line. And when I tell you, it's probably a thousand plus people, right? Um, and, you know, looking at that long line that I had to get into, I was the only woman, right? So that was extremely intimidating. Um, and I, I'm not even going to lie, I was kind of second-guessing myself, like, holy, holy crap, like, can I do this, you know? Um, and, you know, but I stuck it out and I stayed in line and, uh, you know, filled out my paperwork and turned in all the correct documents. And then when I get into the building and I'm having my Scantron for my entrance exam, um, it was given to me by Jane Templin, who's actually um, retired IBW Local 11 Los Angeles. Um, and she was actually the second woman, woman to ever um, get into our local, right? Um, so she's a very big deal, you know, and she, um, you know, gave me a hell of a handshake and um, went up there and kind of told her story to everyone and kind of explained her journey and what it was like for her. And I feel like that made the world a difference for me, um, being the only woman in the room. And I was like, okay, I could totally do this, you know? Um, and I know that wasn't intentional and I know it wasn't on purpose, right? I think it was just chance that that happened, but, um, it definitely made the difference for me, um, that day. And, um, yeah, I got in, everything um went good went well um i went into um boot camp um started that whole process and then um i pretty much got involved i want to say fairly soon after i got in um our previous business manager used to send a lot of um people to conferences and I say a lot I mean a lot like 30 people um and I think it was kind of his way of trying to um cast a wide net right to get people involved um and you know not not your typical uh demographic that you usually see up there which is usually like um older white men you know but like more so women people of color young workers um people like that so I was invited to um attend the Women Build Nations conference, um, which that year I think was in Chicago. Um, and I, you know, jumped at the chance. I went 
um, to the conference with, I think, like I said, 30 other women. Um, and it was amazing, probably life-changing. Um, and to me, that's what, you know, solidarity is all about. Like, being in a room with thousands of other tradeswomen from all over the world, like, um, that's just, that's a feeling that I can't even describe. I can't even begin to describe. You kind of have to be there, right? Especially being on the job site. Sometimes you can go months, um, maybe even a year without seeing another woman um, on the job, you know? So to be um, in this place where you're just surrounded by them and the amount of energy in that room is just off the charts. Um, the workshops were phenomenal. Um, I made friends and connections that I still have to this day. Um, so I think I kind of caught the, the union activist bug that day um, or that weekend. And I came home and immediately got to work. Um, I definitely always wanted to run for office. Um, because, you know, of course, I feel like I might have a knack for it. But also, you know, there are things that I would love to be better. You know, like, um, don't get me wrong, IBW, um, joining the trades was the best decision that I've ever made. But um, I, I can't sit here and say that things couldn't be better. Things could always be better, right? Um, and I feel like... You know, us as a family, as a union, can always kind of look at ourselves and check our own backyard and, and, and think about how we can make those changes. So I definitely wanted to get involved, um, wanted to run for office. So I kind of started to build my resume um, intentionally, you know, um, get involved in all the clubs that I could get into, um, mentor people as much as I could. Um, you know, uh, Jane Templin immediately took me under her wing. Um, taught me so much about outreach um, and mentorship. Um, and I, when I got the chance to run for um, office for Renew, which is our Young Worker Caucus, um, I won. I won president. And um, I've been working within that group and trying to build that back up um, to something good ever since. And um, the idea was always to um, jump in there and kind of a, uh, run for office, and that's what I did. Excellent. Crystal, uh, a lot of things there uh, I'll, I'll uh, throw out as my impression as I listen to you. Um, I, I don't have a hard time imagining uh, the transformation, uh, though it's on a greater scale than my experience, which I'll, I'll, I'll relate here, but the, the transformation of attending those conferences, uh, in your case, again, with the women in the trades and electricians union again, um, when I got involved uh, with a strike going on here, it was actually with the United Steelworkers. We, uh, the group of us, organization I belong to, uh, uh, stood with them for three years. Um, but, boy, you attend your first u uh, labor union activity. Uh, I would say when you t attend your first rally, uh, I would, I would uh, say be cautious because you will not leave uh, becoming part of a labor movement. You will not leave the same person. It is transformational. So congratulations on that. Congratulations on sticking it out in that line because, you know, the answer of could you do it or not do it, you would have answered it if you turned away from that line because then you would just answer that you stuck it out there. Um, and uh, and uh, but let's go back a little. Like I, I said before we started recording, Crystal, uh, my hope is that we're going to get people listening to this that I'm not all that familiar. Can you give us uh, uh, as brief or lengthy as you want explanation of the apprenticeship program specifically as uh, 
to get it as to a journey level electrician, what it took for you. Uh, it's I know from my uh, part of the electricians, it's uh, can be a very not only technically demanding but physically demanding. Yes, yes, uh, it definitely can. For me myself to get into the apprenticeship, uh, you know, there's a couple requirements, right? There's um, you have to have a high school diploma or a GED. You have to have a driver's license. You have to have like a C or better in algebra, which I did have. Um, but you know, because of things in my life that had happened, I actually didn't graduate from high school. Um, so I just kind of got straight into the workforce. Um, so like when I made the choice to try to get into the IBW, I actually had to get my stuff together. You know, like I had to make sure that I did all the things that I had to do to get all my documents in order to even be able to stand in that line. You know, um, so that was uh, a whole thing in itself. Um, that all worked out. Once I got in, I think the physical aspect for me personally, um, it was okay. You know, um, of course my feet hurt at first, like, crazy um but I, I got used to it after a while um i am i would say as far as like maybe um some women are concerned a, a larger person um so i think you know carrying conduit carrying ladders um things like that kind of uh came naturally or it was it was um easy enough for me um and also i i don't really have any problem asking for help you know like if it's if we're talking three inch rigid you know i'm not gonna hurt myself to try to prove a point you know like um i definitely try to keep in mind that you know we have one body and we're going to be at this for you know 20 years so um I, i'm definitely in it for the long haul so i always try to be um cautious of that um, but even with that being said, I mean, you know, I got a bum knee now, like, <laughs> you know, I have lower back pain, like it, it's some of that stuff's just inevitable. What's going to happen with the physical trait, um, like we have in the IBW, but yeah, I mean, um, the school, that was definitely a change to getting back into to school. Right. Um, I came in at 28. So, um, I, you know, I hadn't been in class, in a classroom in a long time. So um, that was definitely adjustment, you know, to, um, you know, have to make time to study, have to make time to um, just basically I had to make it a priority. You know, like um, this was an opportunity like I had never seen, you know, like to be able to earn as you learn um, and also acquire work experience at the same time. Like that's it's just something else, you know. Um, so I definitely did whatever I had to do to make it a priority and, um, make my career come, come first. Excellent. Uh, Crystal, uh, yeah. And for those again, listening that aren't too familiar with apprenticeship programs or basically vocational training. And I'll put this plug out for unions. Uh, unions are the largest vocational provider of vocational training in the United States of America. So all the community colleges, all the private vocational schools, it add them all up and the unions put more uh, training out there any given year. So uh, what you're speaking of, the apprenticeship, and this would be the same if you were the laborers, iron workers, carpenters, uh, it is a combination of classroom and uh, training out on the job. Uh, and I, uh, if where I live now, uh, outside of Portland, uh, very impressive training center. It's uh, in combination with uh, 
Electrical Contractors Association. And uh, so you're doing both of those. And then you, uh, as you progress through the work, you have to be under observation of the journey level electrician. And uh, as we say, they sign you off as you go. You, you rise up in steps, correct? Correct. Uh, so that's that's a part of it. Uh, another thing about, I think we should point out about the trades is uh, there's less worry about what a person might have done yesterday. It really comes down to what you're going to do today on that job. Is that sentiment something you'd agree with? Absolutely, Crystal. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, that's uh, kind of an emotional guy, but that kind of hit me as you talk about it. You, you, you start a new leaf again, as another person put it, uh, it, it. It's not what you did yesterday, but you show up at, you know, uh, dark 30 in the morning on a job site, ready to go on time, ready to learn, ready to ask questions, ready to pitch in. Uh, that's all that's all we're looking for in the trades. Um, and, and that's my experience. So good for you. Um, so you went through the process of apprenticeship, uh, the term you topped out, you, you earned your journey level. And uh, and are you, are they keeping you busy down there in Los Angeles? Yeah, I've been fairly busy. Um, I want to say out of my whole career, um, I haven't really had to stay home um, unless it was like a choice. You know, um, I did take some time um, for COVID, right? Um, especially when it first hit, uh, a lot of people weren't really sure. We didn't have a lot of good information, you know, um, about what to do, what happens. Nobody knew. Um, so when, you know, the, the word came in that we were essential workers, right, and they wanted us to continue to work, I kind of had to make a personal choice. With, did I feel that the work I was doing was essential and um, did I want to put myself and my family at risk um, continuing to go to work every day, especially when, like I said, we didn't have good information or sometimes just straight misinformation. Um, so I did take uh, probably a good three months and I stayed home um, just to kind of quarantine and stay safe at home. And then um, once, you know, the contractors were um, able to get a hold of more masks, even the N95, the real good ones. Um, there was uh, more um, rules into place about like who can do what and how things were going. Um, they actually did a really cool thing. And I'm not. I think it was national. Like um, they would like so basically your contractor. Um, it was like a law that they passed. Like if um, you were sick, even if it was a cold, if you had the sniffles, a cough, or body aches, whatever, any sort of symptom, stay home. And they would pay you. They would pay you for those two weeks 
um, so that you can stay home and get better. Even if you tested and you tested negative, um, they would still pay you for those two weeks just to be on the safe side. So I think that definitely played a big part into me getting back to work because, um, you know, in construction, like if we don't work, we don't get paid. Right. So um, that's definitely uh, a big thing for me, especially I'm in a single income household. Um, so that that law that they passed was was huge for us down here in Los Angeles. OK, good. Yeah, right. We didn't know, did we? I mean, and yeah. Uh, no information, misinformation, disinformation. Um, certainly, uh, uh, generally speaking, electrician, uh, dream level, uh, electrician on the line level, what we call linemen, uh, certainly essential workers, but the job, specific job might not be essential. So there was a judgment call. Uh, uh, good for you. And uh, so you, you completed a course. You're keeping busy. And... Uh, and then maybe we can, uh, first I'm going to just kind of put a little uh, break in here. Uh, again, this is John Andercheck with Labor Lines, the podcast, and the weekly radio show on KRFP. Joining me today, June 25th, via cell phone, is journey-level electrician Crystal Herrera out of Los Angeles, Local 11. Um, and she uh, recently been elected to the executive board of that local. Maybe we could swing into that if that's okay, Crystal. Uh, and again, we're hoping that we have people listening that aren't too familiar with uh, unions and how they work, at least in this country. So at first you want to explain the executive board and then uh, perhaps get into your path to it? Sure. Um, so basically the executive board uh, consists of seven members um, because everything comes down to a vote, right? So you have that seventh member, which is uh, the chair, that if by chance there is a tie, that chair can be the tiebreaker. Um, and we pretty much vote on any, pretty much any finances that come through the local, anything that the local spends money on um, has to get approved by the executive board. The properties that we handle also are overseen by the executive board, like the properties we own, like as, as a local. Um, also, we approve organizing applications, like when the organizers go out there and um, organize non-union members or even just other people, um, they have to do all this paperwork and then that application comes through to the executive board and we approve or disapprove that application. Um, we also approve a uh, change of classification. So I myself am in, I'm an inside wireman, but we also have a transportation classification and uh, a sound and communication trans uh, classification. So like say a sound and, uh, sound and um, communication wants to become an inside wireman, they would have to submit an application and we would approve um, that application. Um, also political donations, that's a, that's a big one. Um, anytime uh, a candidate wants an endorsement from the local, that also has to come through the executive board. Um, we also call special meetings. So like if um, there is an allocation meeting, like um, where we have to allocate certain funds um, to our pay, um, I believe we handle the voting system for that. Um, we also kind of oversee elections and handle um, a lot of the stuff for that. Um, there's, there's honestly so many things I can go on and on and on about what the executive board is, but kind of in a nutshell, I would say like a checks and balances, um, like anything that the local wants to do that's big in that way. Um, they kind of have to communicate and take it to the executive board. Um, 
for approval. And that goes with members as well. Members can come in front of the executive board, make a proposal, and it can uh, get a thumbs up or a thumbs down from the executive board. Yeah, that's very interesting. And again, uh, Crystal, you and I, we're in unions. Uh, yeah, we, we're, we don't have uh, blinders on. Uh, we can speak of the problems with them. Um, but uh, there is that essential democratic uh, representative feature to it that you're not going to find in too many other places. And anyone, anyone in good standing with the union uh, can participate, as you said. Uh, another facet, another job also, isn't it, if you have to do disciplinary hearings uh, regarding a member? Is that something the local board would do? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, the tri- uh, trial boards. So, like, if a member brings charges against another member, um, we act as the court that kind of oversees um, that process. Um, so, we handle that as well. That's another big, big aspect of the executive board. Right. Yeah, a couple of things in here. You use the term political contributions. Just a disclaimer, because uh, being in unions, we know being in labor, how they throw that mud around. No one's dues goes to political campaigns. So I'm just throwing that out, Crystal, because, you know, I mean, you know as well or better as I do. It's like, no, those you decide if you want to pay towards the political campaigning, you can select to do that. Cong- uh, committee on public uh, political education, uh, cope, whatever you get to do that yourself. Uh, the employer could take that out of your track, but that's voluntary. So uh, the dues go to the maintaining of the union and what they do for you at your job site, or if you're not working and uh, you're waiting to get called. I mean, it's uh, the hiring hall, right? So there, so you got involved, uh, and you earlier on in this conversation, Crystal, something I'd like to go back to, um, you, you, you got involved because as, as much as you will uh, point out uh, the positive aspects of the union, what it's done for you, what it's done for thousands of others, um, things have to change. I guess maybe we can all agree on that because all you have to do is look at the numbers. Uh, and right. the decline of the middle class in the United States and the decline of union membership, uh, they're almost, you almost can color them on a graph with the same color because they're so tied to each other. We have seen an enormous decline, especially in the private sector. And uh, we're you know it's almost a death spiral. Uh, we're going to have to do something different in my judgment uh, to pull out before we just crater. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave that up to you if you want to add to that, give us your thoughts. Like I said, best decision I've ever made, but there is also um, things that need to change, you know? Um, and one of the, the main kind of tells for me was, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of women on the job site. You know, like I went a good while before I saw another woman there. So it's like, how, how can we make sure that we're bringing more women into the trade and not just bringing them in, but um, also retaining them, like just making sure that they stay. Because that's, that's part of the problem, too. I feel like a lot of unions say, hey, we're bringing women in, kind of this. It's like, okay, but how many of them are actually turning out and becoming journey level, right? And how many of them are sticking around after that? Um, I believe that some women have a really hard time in the trade. Um, so that might be part of the reason why they choose to move on to other things. I know women that have gone on to be, you know, to teach, or that have gone on to be a, a, a county inspector or something else that's um, outside of the trade as soon as they have the opportunity to. Because there is a, a, a culture in construction, right? It's a, it's, um, 
very kind of, you know, rub some dirt in it and get over it <laughs> type of attitude um, that I think also needs some work. I know that we've made a lot of change to like our safety culture, which is great and important. Like things are so much more safer than they were 20 years ago, but we can also do something for the culture of how we treat each other. Um, also, because it, in my opinion, that also is a safety issue, right? Like we want to make sure that everyone's safe and comfortable on the job in every way. So we can definitely do work in those aspects. So I kind of, um, myself have concentrated on, you know, women in the trades, um, focusing on that issue also people of color in the trades um there's i want to say in los angeles like our entire union is like 80 percent people of color but for a long time the people that the, the top people that were in control were old white men right so that that's also a tell that we don't have that we didn't have enough people of color in positions of power in this space um also young workers right um young workers have a lot of great ideas fresh ideas um and and sometimes there is that's part of the culture too where it's like okay you don't know enough yet right you need to take a back seat but also like people need to be willing to teach right so like there may be that lack of experience but also what are we doing to make sure that we're we're passing on the experience that we have the knowledge that we have because if we refuse to let go of that and we refuse to pass on that knowledge, we can't really complain that people don't know anything. Um, so I feel like that also comes into play there. But um, yeah, and another big kind of moment for me, I went to the IBW Women's Conference and they showed uh, like all of the international vice presidents across the country, right? And um, at the time, there was not a single woman, there was not a single person of color. And I feel like in my mind, I was like, wow, you know, like, wh what do we got to do, you know, to like get get somebody that looks like me on that board, you know? Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of the will start turning. And I know I'm not the only one. And I know I'm not the first person to try to, you know, think about these things. Um, but... You know, I definitely just want to make sure that we're consistently pushing towards progress. We actually got our first uh, woman international VP, I want to say, um, oh, like a year ago. Yeah, so she got sworn in. So that's awesome. That's progress. That's a step forward. I'm super happy and excited for her um, to, to get that position. But we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, I agree. Uh, I'm going to take a quick uh Pause in this uh, recording here. Crystal, Crystal Herrera, uh, journey level electrician out of Los Angeles. I'm John Andercheck. Going to pause here and restart so we can fit this into an upcoming radio show. So hang on, Crystal.